Amos chapter 7. All right, Amos chapter 7. Now, if you're wondering what happened to chapter 6, you might have missed a Sunday. Uh, We took chapter 6 as our text, uh, what was that, two weeks ago, I think? And then uh, now we're going to finish it up chapter seven, eight, and nine this evening. Now, it's nice that we kind of were able to break it up that way because the book of Amos basically breaks into two chunks if you break it down. Uh, Chapters one through six of the book of Amos was eight nations denounced. And we saw, you know, the various uh, local surrounding nations that were denounced by the Lord through the prophet Amos. And that would also include, uh, you know, Israel and Judah because of their sins and their, you know, worshiping of idols and their abominations and all that stuff. The Lord says, man, I'm denouncing you as nations. But in chapters seven through nine, our text for this evening, we see five visions announced. Um, And these visions are largely uh, bad news for the people of Israel. But it's going to end on a nice note, Uh, just just so you know. If you get depressed or find yourself getting depressed as we're going through these chapters, um, there is good news (coughs) coming. So um, as we go through this, chapter 7 begins with the first vision. And we're going to call this the vision of the swarming locust. You're like, Brett, didn't we cover this in the book of Joel? You know, he was talking about the locust. Well, remember, Amos was long before Joel the prophet. Um, And there's kind of an interesting twist on this vision, as it turns out. This vision, um, you know, is going to come out a little differently. Now, um, I love love this. You might say, Brett, what do, you know, the books of the Bible like Amos have to do with us? Um, Don't forget, these are all, um, you know, talking about Israel and Judah and those ancient times But keep in mind, there's always the foreshadow and the ripple effect of Bible prophecy. So when you see Amos talk about locusts, you realize that's that's the first ripple going to the book of Joel. And then there's another ripple that will go all the way out to the book of Revelation. Remember, there's locusts that come out of the ground that are more demonic in nature. And and each ripple gets worse and harder. And so this one is a smaller of the ripples. It's going to ripple out all the way out prophetically. Um, And sometimes you see dual or even triple fulfillments of prophecy sort of echoing through history, and we're going to see that. Um, And so really, even these these books, it pays, you know, to read your Bible. It really does, to understand the heart of the Lord, how he rolls, how he works. Um, There's an old story where a preacher's car broke down as he was coming home fairly late in the evening, and but he's out kind of in the middle of nowhere and his car broke down. So he just kind of started walking. And the only building that was even nearby was this little old tavern, you know, where people would just go out there in the country and drown their sorrows, you know, kind of the down and outers going to this uh, tavern. Um, so the preacher went in there. Well, there in, in the tavern, he saw old Bill, a guy who used to go to his church. And he was there just kind of, you know, a little tipsy and real downtrodden. And, and he said, Bill, what happened to you, man? You, you know, what, what's going on? He said, oh man, I'm just in real financial trouble and all my, you know, uh, you know, possessions are at risk and I'm just in real, you know, peril. And, and he said, man, when did you leave church? And, you know, when did things start going bad? He said, well, I, yeah, I should have probably kept going to church. And, and he said, you know, and the pastor, let, let me take you home. You know, you're a little tipsy. So I got the keys, drove the guy home and, and said, now, now when you go, go home and start reading your Bible. He said, he said, Bill, when, when, you know, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, turn in your Bible and just flip in and then just point down to whatever page. And, and, then, uh, and then you'll see what you need to do. I don't recommend that, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, Bill wakes up, you know, the next morning. Well, a few months later, 
the pastor sees Bill walking down the street and he's in a nice Armani suit and driving a new Mercedes and he's just really doing great. And the preacher says, hey, Bill, you know, what happened? He said, I did what you said. I flipped into my Bible and turned the page and the first thing I saw was chapter 11. <laughs> Some of you guys, bankruptcy is a chapter 11. Uh, just those of you guys, anyway, um, sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, it pays to read your Bible. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I've, I've seen how the word of God does bring good fruit, even when you don't understand what you're reading. Even if you don't understand all the nuances of the Bible, it's okay, just keep reading and you'll start to understand things more and more and it pays to read your Bible. Well, um, so this vision of the swarming locusts, let's take a look right here in Amos chapter seven, verse one. Thus saith, uh, pardon me, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me and behold, he formed grasshoppers. Um, notice the, 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 the margin reference there, green worms. Some of your Bibles say that. Which one is it? Well, do you remember when we talked, you guys became experts on locusts in the book of Joel. And there's the canker worm and the palmer worm, and there's different kinds of locusts that are different species that, whatever. But um, that, that, the language is kind of difficult sometimes knowing which kind of locust is being talked about. But this is a plague. He formed uh, grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. <clears throat> and it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then, said, then I said, O oh Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. Uh, verse three, the Lord repented or better relented for this it shall not be, saith the Lord God. So this is interesting. This is a little bit of deja vu with the prophet Joel. Long before Joel, Amos gets a similar vision that locusts are coming. But Amos does something that Joel was told not to do. Do you remember when we read in Joel that the Lord said, don't pray for the people. These locusts are coming. Well, here Amos says, Lord, Jacob's weak and they're gonna go down if, if, if the locusts come and he prays and the Lord, it says, and your King James says, re repented. And again, we've, we've gotta do that. We gotta be careful with this because um, the, the Lord doesn't repent in our more traditional definition of the word. Repent means to change your mind. Uh, does God ever change? No. Can God change direction? Yes. Uh, God can plan to go this way and then he can plan to go that way. And, and so that's not a, a, like a double-mindedness or not knowing where you're going kind of thing, but God has pathways that he goes and then he'll turn and change course. And that's where the word relented is probably a better translation for this. I'll show you some other things maybe later as we get into this about repentance as it relates to the Lord. Um, but that's something you gotta kind of remember about uh, the Lord is he doesn't, doesn't change. But as it turns out, when you pray, um, it seems that things can change. Well, if God doesn't change, then why should we pray? Well, who knows? Uh, the, who put it in the heart of Amos to pray the prayer to save the people? I think that was probably the Lord who did that. Just remember it says the same thing when Moses uh, was there with the children of Israel and they said, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. The Lord says, you know, step aside, Moses. I'm gonna burn up these people, uh, the sons of Abraham. And I'm gonna make of you, Moses, a mighty nation. And the, you'll be the promised children of Israel, uh, the sons of Moses. And the kids at Athey Creek will sing, Father Moses had many sons, had many sons, had Father Moses, uh, instead of Father Abraham. Uh, it'll be great. Um, and Moses said, not so, Lord. And he prayed and interceded on behalf of the people. And the Lord, it says again in the King James, and the Lord repented of the evil that he was about to do to the children of Israel. 
That sounds almost like these Greek gods and goddesses who are sort of whimsical and you don't really know what kind of character they're gonna be on any given day. Well, that's not the God we serve. So we have to be careful with the English translations of some of these words. Um, the word would be the Lord relented um, because of the prayer that Moses prayed, because of the prayer that Amos prayed, the Lord starts to do this uh, differently. Now, um, so Amos prays and the Lord relents uh, because of his prayers. So that's good. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder, should we be praying a little more fervently for this nation? Because some of you might say, well, America's going down. It's a done deal. Um, and you can kind of get a sense that it is going down and it does seem to be spiraling ever so fast uh, as a no longer the leader of the nations or anything like that. And it breaks your heart as an American citizen. But does that mean we give up and don't pray? I think we pray and just, we just say, Lord, would you save? Would there, pray for revival in this land. Pray for you know, our politicians to repent of the evil that they're doing and, and pray for this nation. And, and, and then make sure and say, but Lord, your will, not our will be done. And then submit to God. But I think we should keep praying. Don't, don't give up. We don't know what God's plan is uh, in, in the near future for this nation. It does seem to be indicating sort of the direction, but you know, Amos reminds me here that I should pray. These people are going down, but Amos prays that the locust won't come and the locust doesn't come because of Amos's fervor and prayer. I think that's pretty cool. Good reminder for us. So um, uh, that's, that's basically the quick little vision of the swarming locusts. It's fairly short-lived. The vision came, Amos prays against it, and the Lord says, okay, I won't swarm locusts. But that brings us to the second vision uh, here that the Lord will speak through Amos. We're gonna call this the vision of the devouring fire. Verse four through six, it says in verse four, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, um, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The word small there is, he's weak. He's, he's going down. And verse six, the Lord repented or relented for this. Uh, this also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So another prayer that Amos prays and the Lord re relents. Um, this, is, this is important, by the way. You know, um, uh, by the way, the, the people were always complaining uh, about the Lord and, and his conditions. Um, and whenever they did that, like with Moses and the children of Israel and the manna, oh, we're sick of this loathsome bread, you know, and, and they would complain. But it was always the one who was praying that ended up getting the best results. You know, the people were either complaining or Moses was praying. And when, when God's people pray, oh, the Lord does amazing things. Um, you know, one thing I would say, if you, are you bugged or are you burned? Pray. Uh, you got the plague of locusts threat, you got the fire threat, but I love how Amos just prays and the Lord says, okay, I'm not gonna cause that to happen. Don't forget the power of prayer. I think that's something that we diminish way too often and we don't really give credibility to the, the power of prayer. Um, but um, basically the Lord, he changes his direction. Um, and, um, and you know, when we come to the end times and some of us end times people, you know, that study prophecy, which everybody should, it's one fourth of the Bible. Um, when we study prophecy, well, it's just going this way and people are gonna get judged and the wrath is coming, the fire's coming. But um, why would we pray that the Lord not do that? Well, um, or right now, um, I think it'd be to have his heart like in Second Peter when he says, oh, I would that none should perish, but everyone would come to repentance. 
Like if we're praying for the saving of America or this world or that we change our direction, we're praying really not just to the Lord to wait on his judgment, but more importantly, praying for salvation of many. If the Lord raptured his church today, um, how many of your family members and loved ones and people you work with would be lost or left behind? Um, when you think about that, that can be very heartbreaking. And so we should be and can be praying like Amos who stood in the gap for the people and prayed, Lord, not so, uh, you know, don't let this plague of fire or this plague of locusts come. So um, we have to be careful, even God's plan for the end times, praying, Lord, um, you know, your will be done. You don't wanna pray, don't do that, Lord, don't judge us, but Lord, uh, here's what we ask of you for, for salvation of many. And that's what Amos was praying for. Um, so that's the vision of the devouring fire. The, the, the third vision we read is the vision of the testing plumb line. Huh? The what? Well, check it out. It says here, verse seven. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. <laughs> I love this. Um, then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Interesting, the vision of the testing plumb line uh, is not something Amos prays against. He just says, okay, the end. Um, this is interesting. Now, what is a, a plumb line? Well, when I was a kid working for my dad in construction and carpentry, um, it, we called it a plumb bob because uh, it sounded better in Southern Oregon. Hey, tell you what, you would say, that's a plumb bob, tell you what. Uh, that's kind of the way we did that down there. Uh, I like plumb bob. I, I think that's better than plumb line. But, but a plumb bob, if you don't know what a plumb bob is, uh, this, is a, this is a picture um, now, a lot of you guys in construction now have all these fancy lasers and stuff. You set up a little thing and the whole job site's got lines all over it and it's all plumb and everything. It's magical and all that. Back in the, the days of antiquity, uh, we, um, we used to use a string and a piece of, uh, you couldn't use anything that was magnetic, like a metal that was magnet. So you had to use a certain kind of metal that didn't get pulled around by magnetism. But basically you could find what a, what a perfectly, you know, plumb, line was with just a real natural thing where, you know, where, uh, where you could keep things straight and, and perfect and, and perpendicular to the flat, you know, and all that. But um, when God says here to Amos, he says, I'm setting a plumb line uh, among my people. He was declaring basically an end of their attempts to justify their crooked ways. Um, the Lord was um, basically saying, I'm, this is the standard, and he sets his plumb line. And the plumb line is something that's, it's the, it's the reference, the standard. Um, God doesn't negotiate his laws or rules. Uh, he doesn't change with the whims of culture and time. God says, my plumb line, it's either true or, you know, mine, mine's true, and anything else is false. Um, it's interesting because um, we live in a culture that wants to call stuff plumb that's actually totally crooked and messed up. Um, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall not make it good? Man, you know, the scriptures teach that God knows truth and he is truth. And that's the idea of the plumb line. So God's, you know, moral law is the plumb line against which, what we determine what is right or wrong. And by the way, even the world up until 
you know, fairly recent history, the world sort of stuck with God's word, the Bible, as the plumb line. When it came to, you know, things like, you know, homosexuality or adultery or polygamy or incest or any of that stuff, um, there was kind of a standard that said, yeah, the Bible pretty much got it right, the Ten Commandments and the Scriptures. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, fairly recently in history we all just said, oh, that's actually wrong. Even though we believed it for thousands of years it was being wrong, now we're just gonna ch- call that wrong. And we got off plumb and we're starting to build things that are crooked and they're gonna fall apart. Um, that's, that was the condition of the Amos's people. They were, they were calling things you know, plumb that were crooked and the Lord says, check my plumb line because this speaks against you. Um, so you know, just as a carpenter's plumb line is not subject to opinions, or even the frustration of the workers. Um, I think that some of you guys that do remodeling, you know that's, that's one of the most frustrating things of remodeling. If the, if the builders didn't start building plumb or square or straight, it can, it can be a lot of work getting a, a house dialed back in. And if there's one thing that's out of line, everything, you know, your sheetrock starts getting messed up and then your tiles, and like, like it's an amazing thing when things get a little crooked. And after a while, it's just nothing but work, work, work. And, and why are, is our culture so frustrated right now? We don't even know what a boy or a girl is anymore. Even though the Lord says, male and female did he create them, man and woman. And the Bible says, this is plumb. Anything else? Crooked. Um, wise people are those who line up their lives and their worldview according to God's plumb line, <laughs> rather than trying to move it to satisfy their own agendas. And that's what we're seeing culturally today. And we have to really pray against that and watch out for that. Moms and dads, teach your kids early what is plumb uh, by showing your kids what the word of God is. And you need to be very active with that. And especially if your kids are in a public school situation or even a Christian school, be careful. Um, uh, you know, we gotta be careful with what, we're, what we just assume our kids are getting. I heard of a Christian school that you guys, probably a lot of you know, where there's a Bible teacher that basically just doesn't even really believe in the inerrant inspired word of God. He's saying stuff like the book of Genesis is more of just uh, mytho history. It's not really something that actually happened in the days of creation. This is in a Christian school. A lot of you sending your kids off to the school thinking, that's all good, but it's not. Uh, It's not plumb with God's word. And uh, and so uh, we gotta watch out for this. By the way, how plumb is America right now? are we, are we on the tried and true? Just yesterday, a big study came out um, kind of summing up 2021. It's in a lot of articles, but um, I pulled this fulcrum article. Study finds U.S. no longer among 25 uh, least corrupt nations. Uh, we were always in the upper you know, 25 or whatever, but now the, um, they call it the CPI, the uh, Corruption Perception Index. Um, It's an index which ranks countries by their perceived levels of public sector corruption. Um, And um, the CPI generally defines corruption as an abuse uh, of entrusted power for private personal gain. Um, Denmark and New Zealand, Finland, top the list of least corrupt nations, while South Sudan is the worst. Um, And the United States drops out of the top 25 amid continuous attacks on free and fair elections. That was the thing that moved the needle mostly uh, according to this study that was out of Berlin. So who knows if the study is even right, but sounds right uh, to me. I think we have become more and more corrupt. Um, I think there's corruption that we have no idea. Um, uh, you know, what's going on, follow the money. Um, find out how much Pfizer's making with the vax and 
And do they have any, and, and, and the, the things that, that Pfizer is actually controlling, it would trouble you if you actually, I know a lot of you do your research and stuff, but there's a lot of conflicts of interest and nobody really seems to care. But uh, there's all kinds of corruption in our country. And, um, and the Lord, he, there's gonna come a day where he'll hold the plumb bob and say, how's America doing? And I have a, a hunch we're gonna hear a big eh, uh, when that comes to, uh, to, to fruition. But that's really what, um, what here in Amos 7, the Lord says, uh, I'm gonna set my plumb bob against you and uh, I'm gonna show that you're crooked and that you're, um, you know, that you're corrupt. Now, by the way, Amaziah, pardon me, um, oh, he's coming in just a minute, but um, Jeroboam is mentioned here in verse nine, kind of important. The high places uh, of Isaac shall be desolate and sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. Notice it says, I will raise against the house of Jeroboam. He's the king uh, with the sword. So that's the way he prophesies. You know, uh, Amos is saying, man, Jeremiah's house. Now, when, when you say the word house, what does that mean? It, it means his, uh, you know, his sons and his descendants. The house of Jeroboam is gonna be later on destroyed. Now, um, in verses 10 to the end of this chapter, we leave the visions for a second. Uh, so far, we've tackled the first three visions. Um, you know, the vision of the locust, the vision of the fire, and the vision of the plumb line. But now that we're gonna shift gears in verses 10 through 17 to be more of a narrative. As Amos is telling these visions, somebody steps up and says, hey, wait a minute, Amos. Uh, and it's got something to say here against Amos. Uh, let's see what it says, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. Uh, the land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away, uh, flee thee away in the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again in any more Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Interesting, Amaziah tells Amos, get out of town, man. Get out of Dodge. We don't want to hear your stupid prophecies. And did you, see what, did you see what Amaziah did? You know, Amaziah is supposed to be the priest of Bethel. And you think, well, at least he's a priest. Well, he was a priest of Bethel. That means the golden calf. Remember the golden calf that Jeroboam had set up? He was the priest of that golden calf. Um, he was a corrupt, wacko, pagan priest who didn't know what he was talking about. And, uh, and he's the one telling Amos to get out of town. What a sad state Northern Israel is in at this, at this point. But notice the twisting. This happens all the time. Uh, this is the oldest trick of the book. What did Amos say? Amos said, the house of Jeroboam will, uh, will uh, the Lord says, the Lord says, not Amos, the Lord says, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. In other words, the descendants of Jeroboam will not prosper and they will not stay in the throne. Now, by the way, Amos's prophecy came to pass perfectly. A couple generations after Jeroboam, uh, his descendants that would theoretically be on the throne in, in uh, Israel, uh, they would be slain with the sword and no longer would Jeroboam's line be in the kingdom. So Amos was right. But Amaziah said, hey, Amos said he's gonna kill you with the edge of the sword. Is that what he said? It's amazing how people can take words and twist them. Um, and there's people that do that all the time. Uh, especially if you're a news junkie or watch politics or news reporters or press conferences or 
And you're like, man, we're at a feverish level uh, when someone says something. Uh, like, uh, you know, taking somebody's words and say, we're gonna inject bleach into our veins and that'll, that'll be the thing that solves uh, uh, coronavirus. Is that what he really said? Not really. And it's funny because doctors have come out and said, well, there was actually a thing we were working on back then that was kind of similar to that. But it, like, it's, it's a funny thing how people's words can be twisted and make you look like a complete idiot and all that. Um, that happens to me from time to time. People said, you said this. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Um, the good news is for me, well, this could be good or bad because there's been a few times people said, you said this. And I was like, no, I didn't. And then I'll go back and listen. I'm like, oh, I did say that. Oops. <laughs> I didn't really mean to say it that way. But uh, so I'll admit uh, there's been a, at least once. Uh, or, well, okay, a few times. But more often than not, when a person says, you said this, and, and it's like a twisting of the words and they don't really know what they're talking about. And so all my sermons, every single one of them are on the, on, online. So we can go and check if you really wanna nail me down, we'll check it. Um, now don't do that, it takes too much time and it's a waste of time. Um, we've got enough of you out there that are already doing that. Um, but you gotta remember now, <clears throat> Amaziah was the priest. He was Mr. Hoity-toity, flashy pants. You know, he had the fancy clothes and all the stuff. He was sort of the wealthy of Bethel, the priest uh, of Bethel, that, that's a big deal. And he feels like he's talking to a member of a goat herding pick, fig picking wacko from Tekoa. Like Amaziah has no respect for Amos at all. You kind of get that sense. Um, but, but notice what Amos's response, I love the response. It's very humble, um, but it's still solid. Check it out, verse 14. Um, after, you know, Amaziah says, beat it, get out of town. He says, verse 14, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, or as your margin says, wild figs. Um, it's one thing to be a fig gatherer in a real fig farm, but when you're gathering wild figs, you're a total hick. Like, you gotta understand, I'm, I'm not trying to oversell you on this, but um, even Amos is saying, yeah, I'm nobody. I was not a prophet before. My parents weren't prophets. I was just a herdman from Tekoa, fig-picking herdsman with hippie sheep. Remember that? That's what he says. He says, you're right, I'm nobody. Um, I love that. Um, but verse 15, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people, Israel. Amos is saying, I'm doing what God told me to do. Um, and, I, and I wonder, you know, this, this is amazing. You know, here's Amos who's kind of seeming to live a fairly solitary life, just kind of shepherd of these little long haired sheep and fig picking, wild figs, just kind of a, a guy that's out there just doing his thing when suddenly God calls him to do something. And I, I gotta admire Amos for his willingness to go and do what God told him to do. Like, let's give Amos a moment of, uh, you know, pat on the back saying, wow, you know, that'd be a scary endeavor for a fig picking hick farmer from Tekoa to go up to Bethel and start talking to Amaziah the priest. Like, I'm impressed by that. And I wonder if the Lord might have you go and talk to people that you think, I don't have any business talking to them. They're not gonna listen to me. Who am I, you know? Remember when Moses said that? Lord said, Moses, I'm gonna use you and I'm gonna have you go and get the people from Pharaoh. And Moses said, who am I that I should go and get the people of Israel? And the Lord said, Moses, who am I? I am the Lord and I'm sending you. you but, 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 but I stutter, who made your mouth? Remember, that's, that Moses had a whole argument with God for like a chapter about not wanting to go and because he didn't feel qualified or, man, I hope none of us miss the opportunities that God puts before us when he puts it on your heart to go and speak. Um, and uh, I love it, man. We, we've got people in our congregation 
you know, that are doing those things. I'm so thankful that some of the bold, brave Christians that are just out there fighting the battle. I don't know if you guys know, but we have Athey Creekers who are in Newburgh. Newburgh's become the epicenter. Um, AOC showed up to Newburgh. You know you're in trouble, uh, you know. Um, and the whole gay and lesbian, LGBTQ, transgender issue in Newburgh, like, you know, should they fly the gay and flag and the, and the Black Lives Matter flags in schools? And there's just been this huge battle over there. And then all the, the people that are pro-LGBTQ and all this stuff, Black Lives, they got into this huge thing of recalling, you know, school board members and people over there in Newburgh. And man, uh, battle. It was like a big battle going over there. Um, there were Athey Creekers that were on the chopping block, you know, they, they said, these people are horrible. And, and the church they go to, I, hey, Athey Creek even made the news. It was amazing. Their pastor is not a friend of us, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and uh, it's, it's just interesting how, you know, it, it got all heated up and it was just a tiny margin, but fortunately the recall failed, amen, to that. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Now you might be saying, Brett, Athey Creek is all political. Nope. I was just teaching the Bible. I was like one of the last ones to find out about it. My wife said, hey, Brett, did you know about this thing? And everybody went, well, I know AOC was over there the other day and uh, there was some other, but Deb kind of filled me in. I was like, wow, um, these are some people that are doing what the Lord has called them to do in dangerous, perilous times. Um, you know, that's kind of the way AC Creek rolls, by the way. I hope you understand that. We, we're not into as much having tons of programs of everything from the po politics uh, or, you know, helping the homeless or like we do help the homeless, uh, not, not to maybe some degree that some people would say they think we should. Um, but we do mission work all over the world. We do stuff like that, but it's not about that here. Um, what, what we're hoping is, and this is what we get to see, is as we just, you know, come, this, this is a place for you to come to church, be fed, encouraged, built up in faith, and then all of you go out and do what God's called you to do. If you have a heart for the homeless, go do it. Start something, get her done. And, you know, and by the way, Eighth and Creek, the way we roll is if somebody goes and starts something and, and it's success, successful and the Lord seems to be blessing it, we might even like help financially support that, what you're doing. Um, we support a lot of uh, outside ministries that are, people from the church, but it's not a, an official function of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Um, we just see the fruit coming by so many people. And uh, it's really cool to see all the great things the Lord's doing through you that are like Amos. When the Lord says, go, you say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to roll. And that we've got a lot of people and a lot of people are uh, in real dangerous situations, I think. Um, you know, we have law enforcement uh, in, in our church that are just trying to survive right now. Um, there's in, in Portland, did you hear the Portland police uh, went out and tried to invite uh, the retired police officers? Uh, they're like, we need more police. So we're going back to the ones, you know, and um, out of the hundreds that were either fired or retired because of what was going on in Portland, there were like two that showed interest. <laughs> two, two. That's, that's, um, that just shows, I mean, I wouldn't be a police officer in Portland. We, we got all these police officers here at church and every time I see them, I say, you're crazy, man. Like to be a police officer in Portland, you're crazy. But I, but I admire and I respect our, our law enforcement. If you're a law enforcement officer here in Portland, man, we, we, we pray for you. you. You got like, what a tall order to be a, to be a law enforcement officer here in the Portland area. Um, but, but I think that, you know, just like Romans 13, it calls the, the law enforcement, whether you're a Christian or not, says that you're a minister of God. That's what it says in Romans, Romans 13. So it's kind of an interesting thing. There's a lot of people who are in real danger and real peril that are just trying to serve 
the Lord and do what God's called them to do. And, and we should be praying for that. Uh, even as old Amos stepped out into a real dangerous situation. Well, this is where Dan uh, Amos, the fig picking herdsman starts to show a little teeth against Amaziah. You ready for this? Okay, so here it goes. Um, the Lord told me to go and prophesy, verse 16. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword and thy land shall be divided by line and thou shalt die in the polluted land or in a polluted land and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth in his uh, land. Who's he talking to? Amaziah the priest. Well, why would Amaziah's priest become, or wife become a prostitute in the land? Well, that's what would happen. After a husband was taken off into Assyria, as would Amaziah, his wife would be left to die in Jerusalem or try to survive. And some of the women would resort to harlotry just to try to survive. And then here Amos says, and because of your rebellion, you're gonna be taken off into polluted land, speaking of Assyria and your children are gonna die by the edge of the sword. Like, this is brutal, gulp. Um, be careful, make sure you're on the correct side of these things. I'm sure Amaziah thought he was right. Hey, I'm a, I'm a priest in Bethel, the house of God, and the king likes me, and I'm in good standing, but Amos says, no, you're going down. Uh, Amos, Amos was humble, but correct. Amaziah was proud, proud and haughty, but he was dead wrong, and uh, literally is gonna lose his family. So kind of brutal. Um, um, and so, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that, you know, your words, I like, I like uh, you know, Amaziah tried to play these words on how, you know, Amos was gonna kill the king and all this stuff. But Amos, he didn't mince his words at all. He just says, you're going down. And he doesn't pull his punches. Sometimes I think we try to soften things that the Lord wants to say, nope, this is hard and brutal. Amos says, yeah, you're gonna be taken to a polluted land, your wife's gonna be a harlot and your kids are gonna die by the desert. Um, that's kind of what you're supposed to do is make sure and communicate clearly. It's Matthew 5, 37 that says this, let your communication be yay, yay, or nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these comes from evil. If you try to you know, uh, equivocate or manipulate or any of that stuff, uh, it's just evil. But Amos is letting his words be very clear uh, and um, there's no question. Well, all that, um, you know, it's interesting, um, uh, bad, bad for Amaziah, uh, but uh, Amos is, what, what is he gonna do? Well, we'll see as we kind of get further in this, but we come to the next uh, vision, the vision, and this is vision number four out of the five. Um, this is the vision of the summer fruit. Uh, sounds great, I like summer fruit, um, but wait, verse one, um, um, of chapter eight, here we go, moving forward. It says, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? <laughs> and I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in the day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Um, so what is this basket of summer fruit? It sounds so nice, but what you have to understand, if you've got a basket of summer fruit, that's the way that they would say over-ripened. 
Um, have you ever had a basket of fruit in your kitchen and it got over-ripened and the little fruit flies start gathering in your house uh, and it's just kind of gross and you just got to throw it out? That's this basket of summer fruit. It's a, a basket of fruit that was once beautiful and fruitful and it should have been good, but it turned into a basket of summer fruit. And that's why um, there's going to be howlings in the temple uh, and many dead bodies in every place. Like this is the Lord saying, uh, this is summer fruit. It sat too long. It's now rotten. Uh, don't miss your opportunity to be fruitful. Um, you know, this is an interesting thing to ask yourself as, uh, you know, you consider your life. And so many young people consider their dreams and what they want to do with their life. Uh, and oftentimes those don't happen exactly the way they thought. And so you get to midlife and then it becomes more survival, and just trying to pay the bills. And then in your older years, it becomes regret. And you wonder, man, uh, you know, What's my legacy and what am I leaving? And there's this funny cycle of life that so many people go through. But, um, but, you know, Jesus talked about how you'll know them by their fruit. And the one thing that you and I should be concerned about is fruit in our lives, spiritual fruit. You know, because we look at monetary fruit or talented, you know, paintings or music that you've written or uh, done or, you know, that, that, that's not really the fruit Jesus talked about. The fruit that Jesus was talking about is the fruit of the ministry and, and the, the love of the Christians and what is the fruit of their labors as a minister or a servant of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And I think the older I get, the more I'm realizing that the people, the older they get, um, and even when they die, the, the things that really matter, it, it, it's the fruit of their life spiritually and not as much the fruit of their life, you know, materially or temporally. Uh, having done hundreds and hundreds of memorial services and funerals, um, I always am amazed at the secular ones, you know, where there's a person who didn't really know the Lord. And it, it's, it's a little bit spooky to me because I've seen the other side of the coin of the believer, I've done memorial services for, you know, little old ladies that loved Jesus all their lives and, you know, spoke Jesus to their grandchildren and their children and, and uh, wrote in their Bible notes and, and, and ministered and just was a favorite in the church. Like, like seeing that, the, this fruitful little old lady who died and people were just rejoicing that she was in heaven. Like it's, it's truly a celebration and it's light and beautiful. You go to a secular one, well, this little old lady, look at all of the quilts that she made. And... I, I remember looking at these are fine quilts, beautiful quilts, but they're just quilts. I'm not saying quilting is wrong for you quilters out there. Uh, it's from the devil. No, I'm just, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Quilting's great. But if that's all you got, if that's all you got. Now, by the way, I love, you know, I, I've seen where ladies take quilts and then they give them out to the poor and the homeless. And, you know, we've got ladies that do that stuff. Uh, that, that's more of the fruit. You know, you can take the things that you do, but if, if the exciting world of leathercraft is all you have, um, I remember one memorial service, the guys would get up and get on the microphone. <clears throat> it's just, okay, man, Billy Bob, he could sure tie a fly. He could tie a fly better than just about anybody. Those fish, they thought they were real bugs, those flies they tied. The next guy get up, yeah, the flies that he tied. And that's like all that they had to say. This guy could tie a mean fly. Now, tying flies is an interesting thing for about 10 seconds, if you ask me. Um, but if your whole life, if that's all you got to say about your life, you may, maybe you should have spent a little more time doing something else. I'm not, again, you fly tires, God bless you. That's great. Um, like, uh, that doesn't really hit home for me, but like things like motocross or something like that. 
I've gone to funerals where, man, he could ride a dirt bike. But even that, pretty shallow, pretty, uh, you know, pretty insignificant when it, when it counts for eternity. And, and the thing that, that we need to realize is our fruit. Make sure that there's real spiritual fruit that matters for eternity. That, that's huge. That's important. Well, these people were at rotten fruit and they were gonna have howlings and death in, in, uh, in Israel. Well, verse four, um, it says here, uh, hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be gone and when, uh, that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. Um, these people, uh, they, they're known for ripping off the poor and, and purposefully cheating people. Um, there's some phrases here that are just kind of, you know, uh, the falsifying of the balances by deceit. One of my favorite Norman Rockwell pictures, I brought it with me tonight, um, is this picture on Saturday Evening Post, 1936. And the little old lady, you can see, um, you know, they're, they're weighing the, what is that, a, a turkey. They're weighing a turkey on the scales. And uh, they're both looking up at the scale. But if you look at it, both of their hands closely, he's pushing down and she's pushing up to try to, you know. And that's what it says here in our text. It says, falsifying the balances by deceit. Uh, the Bible just calls this out. Um, and, uh, and so when, when it comes to this vision of the summer fruit and their rottenness, um, part of their rottenness is the corruption of them cheating people and, and it, um, you know, selling the worst, the garbage of the wheat to the poor instead of the, the good stuff to the poor. Um, and, uh, and, and trying to cheat on the Sabbath day, you know, trying to get extra wheat and stuff like that. The Lord calls them out in verses four through six, falsifying uh, deceitfulness for wealth, all that stuff. Um, Cheating, by the way, uh, is the Lord sees that. Do you understand the Lord sees it when you're cheating and when you're taking advantage of people that are less fortunate? I hope you understand that. Um, you know, you may not get caught by people, uh, but you, you are caught by the Lord. I, I just want to remind us of that. I'm, I'm reminded of a college chemistry class and there were four very sort of um, overconfident uh, students. They had a final exam um, the next morning, but they, they felt so smart, they decided just to party down the night before instead of study. But they all got a little bit tipsy and stuff that night, and so they overslept and they missed their chemistry class and they missed their final exam. So they went um, you know, in and said uh, you know, to the professor, oh, we're really sorry. You know, and they made up a story that sort of uh, would try to make them, hopefully he'd give them another chance. Um, so they said, we were, we were out visiting a sick, a sick friend um, and on the way home last night, we got a flat tire and it took us so long to get it. Uh, we had to you know, get the tire fixed. And then by the time we made it home, class was already over. And the professor said, no problem. Um, uh, tomorrow morning, let's, let's, let's have an exam. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have you guys do it. So they came in the next morning and the professor handed out each of them a test uh, and um, sent them to their own rooms, uh, separate rooms. And there were only two questions. This one was um, number one, worth five points of the hundred. Um, you know, and then he asked some chemistry question. And then they turned the next page and this is the last question, question number two. And this one's worth 95 points. Which tire? <laughs> the professor maybe was on to them. Uh, 
But, uh, but that's what's gonna happen. Can you imagine you standing before the Lord, thinking you're pulling off your little uh, charade and the Lord saying, I know exactly what you were doing. Um, and you're caught, you're busted. It reminds me of you know, Hebrews 4, 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest or made known in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, the vision of the summer fruit, it continues in, uh, there in verse seven. It says, the Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this? And every one mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up wholly as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in the clear day. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. Scary words when you hear the Lord say, I will never forget their works or their sinful deeds. Um, when the Lord says that, you're in big trouble. How thankful I am that if you want to have your sins forgiven, the Lord says you can repent and you can confess your sins and then he forgives you. And, and the Bible says, and I will remember your sins no more. These people were past that point of, of, past the point of no return. Their sins were to the point where God says, I'm never gonna forgive your sins or forget. I'm gonna hold those to account. Man, I hope none of you get to that point. We talked about that on Sunday, by the way, in talking about the point of no return. And, um, and that's kind of what, what, uh, what he's talking about here is the point of no return. They've reached that. And now, by the way, before we keep reading, um, we see kind of a foreshadowing of the end times. You prophecy buffs that know the book of Revelation. You see some of the, the things like the sun going down at noon. That's very apocalyptic, very book of Revelation. Um, you know, uh, like for example, in Revelation chapter six, verse 12, I beheld, this is the tribulation period. Uh, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Um, it's interesting to kind of speculate. That's all we can really do. What is it that's going to make the sun turn dark? Um, it could be any number of things. You know, in Tonga, the uh, volcano, did anybody see that eruption uh, last week or a little over a week ago? Um, down near the South Pacific, near our base in Vanuatu. Um, but, you know, that ash, when it went up and over, whatever island it went over, it made the sun dark, uh, like night. Uh, maybe some of you remember the fires we had a couple summers ago. And, and uh, I remember one of the mornings at my house, I drove out the driveway at 10 a.m. in the morning, and it looked like 10 o'clock at night. It was, it was dark. My headlights were still, you know, on, and I couldn't see the road without the headlights on. And it's like the sun was darkened. Who knows why the sun's going to be darkened? Um, maybe it's Elon Musk is gonna crash a rocker boosted or something into it, or uh, I don't know. Uh, did you guys hear about that? One of Elon Musk's uh, boosters is, or something's gonna crash into the moon. Uh, uh, he's like, my bad, oh well. Um, but uh, uh, there's, there's some interesting things going on in space that makes me wonder, are some of these things gonna be cataclysmic things or man-caused things? Um, we have these very sensitive instruments that um, can sense when asteroids are heading toward the earth, but they're all not functioning right now. Do you know why? Um, because again, Elon Musk has la launched so many of these Skylink uh, satellites, they're interfering with their sensitive instruments uh, that's supposed to tell when the asteroids are coming. So it's kind of a battle for space and, and space, you know, like outer space, but also space in space. 
And they're all saying, this is my space. And they're saying, no, it's my space. And it's kind of interesting to see, but who knows? Who knows what's gonna blacken the sun in the book of Revelation? Now you say, well, what is Amos's time? Again, it's that ripple effect of Bible prophecy. Um, and uh, who knows, maybe there was a fire or something that did blacken the sky at noon uh, during this, but who knows what it was. It could be an eclipse or something like that. Remember a few years ago, we had the eclipse and everybody tried to get just down closer to Salem because it was a total eclipse and everything went dark and cold and dogs started barking. Like, can you imagine in Bible times when something like that would happen, they'd be like, uh, what, what happened to the sun? Um, and then all of a sudden it comes back like that, that, you know, that would freak you out if you didn't know what was going on. So who knows what all this will be uh, in Amos's time or even in the book of Revelation in the tribulation period. But um, this chapter is basically saying these people, the summer fruit, the rottenness of it is gonna be the end. It's gonna be the end where things are gonna be over with. And that's where we pick up our text from Sunday that we looked at verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. Um, they that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, thy God, O Dan, liveth. And the manner of Beersheba liveth. Even they shall fall and never rise up again. Um, they're saying, thy God, little g, there in verse 14, speaking of the golden calves and the other pagan deities of that region. They were worshiping Baal uh, along with others during that time. And the Lord says, those people who are doing that, they're never gonna rise up again. And that brings us to chapter nine, where we get to the vision of the inescapable sword, uh, which is chapter nine, verses one through 10. The inescapable sword, check it out, verse one. I saw the Lord standing up on the altar. Um, this is a false idol altar, like a pagan altar. And he said, smite the lintel. Uh, the lintel, uh, you might say, if you have a King James, you could put a pillar, sort of like when Samson was led by the little boy to put his hands up, up on the pillars, same word. The, it was, it'd be the, the pillars that were holding up the, the, the uh, temple roof kind of thing. So the Lord, you know, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar and he said, smite the lintel of the door that the priest may shake and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. He that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Um, so the vision of the inescapable sword, this is the Lord saying, I will stand and slay these priests of Baal and the golden calves and all the other pagan deities, and they will not be able to escape. Um, verse two, though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. This is scary language. If you're one of these Jews hearing the prophet Amos say this stuff, you'd be like, man, uh, uh, this is scary stuff. You can run, but you can't hide. That's basically what the Lord is saying. Um, and verse four, though they go into captivity before their enemies, um, thence will I command the sword and it shall slay them. 
and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Now this is the evil of judgment, uh, the wrath that he's gonna pour out upon them. He's setting his face, his eyes on them and the, the sword of judgment is inevitable. That's what he's saying. Then he, he says in verse five, and the Lord God of, of hosts is he that toucheth the land and it shall be, it shall melt and all that dwell therein shall mourn and it shall rise up wholly like a flood and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Basically saying just by the creation the Lord is deemed powerful, more powerful than anything you guys can muster up. And that power is gonna be turned against them in judgment. Um, so they're gonna be uh, fruitful to barrenness is also implied there. Verse seven, um, are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kephor and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all the nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake us nor prevent us. So there's a bunch of people saying, hey, nothing's gonna happen, we're all good. But the Lord says, I'm gonna sift you like wheat or corn. And he says something that's interesting here. He says um, that basically not a, a corn will fall, uh, I'll keep the good corn. And he's referring to here, as he mentions, Judah. Judah's the Southern tribes. The Northern 10 tribes were so lost, the Lord says, you're gonna be lost. You're gonna be taken by the Assyrians. That's what this chapter is kind of horrible. It's like, it's scary uh, saying you're going down. The flood is the Assyrian army that's gonna come and wipe them out and drag them off into oblivion. Um, historically, it's a horrible, horrible thing that happens to the Northern 10 tribes. But when the Lord says here that I'm gonna sift um, them like corn there in verse nine, and I'm not gonna let the least grain fall upon the earth. This is the Lord saying this something that's kind of a theme throughout the whole Bible. And it's this, I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. I'll sift it out, but I'll save the good corn, but anything else that's not good, it's going down. It's gonna be burned with fire is the idea. Um, that's what the Lord is, uh, who gets the edge of the sword? Those who will say, God will not judge us. That's what it says there in verse, the last part of the uh, verse 10. Uh, the evil shall not overtake us or prevent us, they say. The Lord says, it will, you're going down and it's a guarantee. Well, breath, this is depressing. Uh, you're going down, there's no hope for you, the, the northern tribes of their rebellion. Yeah, but then I love Amos, he ends with this beautiful, beautiful hope. And uh, this isn't one of the visions um, like the inescapable sword or the plumb bob or any of that stuff. This is just, this is just kind of separate. He ends this book with the promise that's to come, the promise of hope and joy. Let's take a look here in verse 11. He says, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up its, his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all, the, and all of the heathen 
which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doth, doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the, re the reaper and the treader of grapes that groweth, uh, pardon me, that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all of the hills shall melt. What's, what's this talking about? The, the, you know, the, David's been long gone as king. You know, after David, there was Solomon and there, you know, there was a few kings that came with, but you know, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, that whole division and the civil war, this is that time where Amos is preaching and David's, David's been long gone. When, when he prophesies and says, um, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David um, that has fallen, what's he talking about? This is where it seems that Amos starts talking about a future when Israel's gonna be prosperous and blessed with a descendant of David. Now, you guys that know your Bible know we're talking about the son of David, none other than Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, which means we're talking about the millennial kingdom uh, that's the future. Even in our time, it's yet to happen. We've not seen, since this time, we've not seen Jerusalem uh, to this point where the throne of David has been brought back. But that is gonna come and it's gonna come uh, in the day of the Lord, in that day, in the millennial kingdom. Um, and um, it says in verse 14, I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof. You know, when it says, I will bring again the captivity of my people, that's something we're seeing happening. It's not full yet, but we see the children of Israel being drawn back to the land. They're growing vineyards and wine and olive oil and they're a fruitful nation once again. These are all precursors to the fulfillment of the day of the Lord. Um, beautiful promise. Verse 15, and I will plant them upon their land and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Boy, don't you love, they're gonna, the promise of hope and joy. Um, by the way, the Talmud, uh, which is sort of the Jewish writings, commentaries, if you would, the Talmud, they believe that they're gonna find the remains of the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to the tabernacle. Um, I always laugh when people say, hey, Brett, I think I know who has the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it's the, the Jewish priests, they've got it deep under Jerusalem somewhere. I don't believe so. No, it's the, the Coptics down in Egypt. They've got it hidden in there because Jeremiah brought the Ark of the Covenant down. Nope, don't believe so. Well, they say they have it in their little temple. They won't let anybody go in there. Don't believe they have it. Um, well, why is that? Well, the interesting thing is in the millennial kingdom in the book of Ezekiel talks about how the Ark of the Covenant will be forgotten. It'll be a thing kind of of the past that people won't even remember. Um, so when they, like even the Jews saying, we're gonna have the Ark of the Covenant again someday. Um, I don't believe they will. And why? Well, do you remember where the Ark of the Covenant was where the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled and the Lord says, there will I meet with you at the mercy seat or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And um, it's interesting because um, here in Amos, there's no mention of the Ark of the Covenant, but David, the tabernacle will be built back up and the, the descendants of David, Jesus, uh, the King of Kings will come, but there's no need for an Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because Jesus, the, the Ark of the Covenant was pointing to Jesus. Uh, everything the Ark of the Covenant stands for. We could talk about the two angels that were there on the Ark of the Covenant, even as when they came to the tomb, there were two angels sitting on the end where Jesus uh, died and was laid in the tomb. Two, like there's so many cool pictures in the Bible um, that really teach us that Jesus is the embodiment of the Ark of the Covenant, the personification of the Ark of the Covenant. So here, you know, um, 
Uh, this is the lineage of David. This is Jesus, the Messiah, who's gonna come and rule. And when will Jerusalem be delivered? When will it become fully fruit fruitful and the Jews will live peacefully again? No more Arab-Israeli conflict. No more replacement theology in the world where God's done with the Jews as most of the world believes today. Nope, it's coming on the day of the Lord. When will that come? Well, don't forget, I like to remind you uh, this, this scripture in Romans eleven twenty five. 25. It says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He's talking to us Gentiles. Don't be wise and conceited. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion, the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. The Lord says, I'm gonna do this. This is, a, this is gonna be a guaranteed done deal. And this is, this is the time, by the way, that Amos is ending his little book here with this glory and peace that's coming to Israel someday when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne. Um, man, that's gonna be a glorious time for the Jews. It's gonna be glorious for us. We're gonna be uh, in our resurrected bodies. We're gonna be either raptured or if you die tomorrow before the rapture happens, we'll be up in heaven with the Lord. And then when Christ comes, he's gonna return with 10,000s of his saints. That's us. And we get to rule and reign with him during that millennial kingdom. It's gonna be glorious, glorious time. So all that to say, um, you know, this is a reminder for us Gentiles not to be arrogant. Those Jews, look at all their sinful things. Don't have that attitude. Remember, they're still God's chosen people. Yes, they're still gathering in unbelief right now, but God has a plan for them. Um, what if we would have just left off the book of Amos in verse 10? Um, that'd be depressing. Uh, the Jews are gonna be dragged away. Israel's gonna be no more. The Assyrians are gonna drag you off with hooks in your noses. The end. Like that'd be a real depressing thing. I love how Amos doesn't end with just that whole thing. He says, but, but. There's glory and hope coming for Israel. And uh, that's when Christ comes and rules and reigns. That's something we have to look forward to as well. Don't be doom and gloom, be boom and zoom. Um, the rapture of the church is, do, is boom, and the sounding of the trumpet and zoom will be up with the Lord forever to be with him. It's something to look forward to. Uh, if you're scared of it, it means you don't understand it. Uh, it's gonna be glorious. It's gonna be, heaven's gonna be so beautiful. Uh, and the Bible says, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't even entered into the mind of man, the wonderful things that the Lord has really prepared for us who are his followers and get to go to heaven. So we look forward to that day. I hope you do. And that's what Amos ends on, that glorious note. Well, there it is, the book of Amos. And uh, next week, Obadiah. Man, we're, we're plowing through books now. Um, if you look at how many, how many pages we have left of the Old Testament, man, we'll be, I mean, this is going quick, man. It's just a short little 16th of an inch of pages right there. And then we'll be done with the Old Testament. That's, that's amazing. And then back into the new. So looking forward to that. Well, Lord, how thankful we are for your word that is true. And um, Lord, um, one thing about this that we see is these people thought they were pulling off um, their sins and somehow you didn't know about it, at least in their minds. But in this passage, Amos calls them out and what a sobering bit of news for them to understand that God saw everything they were doing. Um, nothing was hidden. And yet they just continued in their sin. And when they heard the truth, rather than responding, they reacted and sent Amos away and told him to go home. Lord, I pray that we would respond to your word and be convicted 
Lord, um, I'm thankful that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but I pray that you'd convict our hearts of our sin, that we don't just play games and keep doing our sins over and over again, uh, unchecked. But Lord, I pray you'd find a repentant bunch that we'd follow after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, I pray you'd give us that hope, the, that hope that Amos ends this book with, Lord, of that day when you come, the second coming, and rule and reign in Jerusalem. We look forward to that day. Until then, may we occupy until you come. I pray that we just serve you faithfully and be watching and waiting until that day. Bless this, your church, Lord. Reward these, your people, that have spent a Wednesday night studying scripture. May it bring forth good fruit, Lord, in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.